So there are some new faces in the crowd this evening. And I want to extend a warm welcome to the yogis, as you're called when you come here. The yogis who have arrived this afternoon and joined our retreat. So really want to give our appreciation for your being here now. And for those of you who are new, I just want to make a quick introduction up here so you know the cast of characters. Um, I'm Sharda Rogel, and to my right is Sally Clough, and to her right is Sylvia Bornstein, and to my left is James Barras, all my very good friends and colleagues who are going to be guiding you over this week here together, that we have here together. Also to say that this evening's talk is going to be a little bit shorter than usual. Uh, At 8.15, we're going to have a a little break so that those of you who have been here over the last week will leave the hall. And then the new people who just arrived will stay. And you'll have some introductory comments, some opening announcements from the managers, and some uh, uh, teachings, uh, a little bit of teachings from James and Sylvia to open your retreat formally. So we'll have a little bit of a transition at that time. So for the people who have just arrived, there are 25 of you. And uh, we have about 59 people who have continued on from the last retreat. So this, I, I think of it sometimes as a ship, you know, in the ocean that's kind of moving along. And so that ship is still cruising. It's been cruising for about seven days. And we're out in some pretty good territory right now. So you have the benefit of coming in and and really joining in the field that's been created here over uh, the last week and the the depth of the practice that has occurred here. You probably know that we have been engaged in a loving-kindness retreat, metta retreat. And this evening is going to be the evening that the people who have been here are going to transition from the loving-kindness to the mindfulness retreat with you. So uh, those of you who may not know what a metta retreat is, it's a retreat where the primary practice is the repetition of loving-kindness phrases from the time uh, someone wakes up in the morning until they lay their head on their pillow and go to sleep, extending loving kindness, loving thoughts and wishes of well-being out to themselves and other people and all beings, extending out all the way to include all beings in the whole world. And it's been very inspiring for me to be here over the week because I love being involved with the loving-kindness practice, with people who are committed to practicing loving-kindness and my, the opportunity I have to, to guide people and be with people. It's a very beautiful um, opportunity for all of us. So I'm very glad for the retreat we've just had 
and it isn't really over, right? So those 59 people who are continuing, the metta is not something that you're leaving behind. It's not like you just, you know, flick a switch and then, you know, the metta's gone and now you're into the mindfulness practice. Um, the metta really is the foundation, is the ground that you've been cultivating over the week now that will be a foundation for you as you go into the mindfulness practice. So in it, you very much bring your practice with you, not only the accumulation of the energy and the merit from the practice, but also you ha- now have the practice. You're more grounded in the metta practice and the loving-kindness practice. And so at times, you may want to actually draw on that practice. I think James spoke with you a little bit this afternoon about how to integrate those two practices. We'll be speaking more about that, particularly tomorrow morning at the first sit after breakfast, which is our sit where we give the instructions for the day. So you, you have many, many practices now, those of you who have been here. You know, we introduced all of the Brahma-viharas and the reflections on metta and the benefits of metta and many ways we can work with the loving-kindness practice. So all of that is now in your toolbox. You know, I like to think of our, all the new practices I learn. I just keep putting more and more tools in my toolbox, and it's really quite a nice toolbox. I covet my toolbox. So um, now you have more that you've put in there. And my sense is that probably many people who have just arrived also have some uh, familiarity or, or practice with the loving kindness. Uh, just with the new people who have arrived, how many people have practiced loving kindness? That's what I thought, most of you. Yeah. So, so we're going to inter- we'll have times where we also have guided uh, loving kindness meditations on this retreat as well. So, because metta loving kindness is an integral aspect of our of our practice, of our insight practice, of vipassana practice, or whatever name you want to give to that mindfulness practice. I mean, the the cultivation of the qualities of the heart are so necessary for us to pay it when we pay attention and really look directly at what is true in our experience, in our mind, in our body, in our emotions, in our senses. When we really come into contact with the truth of our experience, unless we have the ability to have a gentle and tender and kind attitude towards what we see, we are likely to continue to reinforce those very difficult patterns of our mind that lead to more pain and to more suffering. And so we very much encourage the practice of loving-kindness, the practice of metta, and the other Brahma-viharas as a support, as a foundation for the mindfulness practice. Primarily, we are... The difference now, for those of you who've been here, is you're just encouraged now to let go of the phrases as the primary practice. So the primary practice, if it's just rather than continuing the, the concepts, the conceptual phrases in the mind, now it's a, to let them go as, as the, the main practice that we're doing. You can pick them up at different times when it feels useful, it feels supportive. And primarily now we're entering into the mindfulness meditation. And I want to talk just a little bit about that. 
so that we, uh, as we say sometimes, we're all on the same page together here. Um, Usually when we start a mindfulness retreat, we spend a couple of days in developing concentration, primarily with the breath when we first start, And this development of the the returning back to the breath again and again is what really helps to unify the mind and the body to really help us arrive here, to really come here, to be here fully so that we have more of our resources engaged to pay attention and to look deeply into what's occurring in our experience moment to moment. When we usually arrive at a retreat, the mind can be quite scattered, quite busy, quite uh, distracted with all the different kinds of things we've been engaged with before we came, the things today, the things over the week, over the last month. So we spend a little bit of time really helping to bring the mind back right here and now into this moment again and again and again and again. And it takes a little effort at the beginning to get the mind to really arrive here This is the establishment of some concentration so we can deepen into the mindfulness. Those people who have been here have already, for the most part, established that concentration. We've been teaching the loving-kindness practice as a concentration practice, talking about the aspects of concentration and the importance of bringing the mind back to the phrases again and again and again. And in doing this, we start to unify, we start to have more sense of that alignment of mind-body experience where we really more have a sense of more being here. So those of you who have been practicing will probably notice the difference uh, when you start the mindfulness practice, some of you already have through the day today, and how much more present you are, how much more able you're able, to, you're able to be here, how the mind may be much less distracted and restless. Usually when there's some transition, we all feel the busyness a bit. You know, I'm sure some of you today have felt that, felt that kind of the shift of some people leaving, new people coming, and that can be a little bit uh, disturbing sometimes for some people in their practice. But my sense is that the concentration is pretty well established so that you find yourself easily coming back. That was my, that's my sense. It may not be true for most of you, but after a week of, of doing the kind of practice that we've done, my sense is that there's something uh, fa- fairly well established. And also for people who are coming in tonight, you probably also will feel the strength of the practice that's occurred here. You come into a field where there's been some accumulation of the strength of practice. So everybody um, is supported by what has happened here over the week. Not only that, what's happened here really over the last 10 years, because we really, every, all the time, we're uh, creating a field of deep commitment and love for the Dharma, love for the practice, every time we come into this hall, and that really establishes a quality here in this meditation hall that I'm sure all of us feel when we walk in to this really beautiful, exquisite meditation hall that we have to practice. So mindfulness, turning towards mindfulness, the Pali word, 
the word that we receive the teachings from the Buddha in uh, is the word sati, sati. And our practice is primarily grounded in this mindfulness, in this cultivating of mindfulness, really honing this tool of mindfulness. And what that means is it's a tool for awareness and deepening our wisdom so that we have a tool to look more deeply, more fully into the nature of this existence, the nature of who I take myself to be and who I take others to be, this mind, this body. What is this? We really start to inquire and to to investigate into the nature in which we live. It's really a tool, mindfulness is really a tool to find our way out of confusion. Because for the most part, we often find ourselves in somewhat of a confused state. Confusion means that we don't really see things clearly. And when I say that, I mean really clearly. (laughs) Sure, we see clearly sometimes, but when we talk about the potential that we have as human beings to see clearly as a Buddha, from our own Buddha nature, the clarity is something that is even unimaginable. What we can really discover is true. And so until we are fully awake, fully realized beings, we say that there's some confusion in the mind. And this confusion gives rise to some pain and suffering internally and also through our speech and our actions, the way that we are in relationship with others and with groups. And we feel this. We feel the pain. We feel the suffering often in our lives. And the mindfulness practice is a support, as the loving-kindness practice is, to come out of this confusion. Mindfulness is a functional Practice. It's a functional factor in the mind. It's not mystical. It's not very esoteric like mindfulness. When I'm mindful, something really amazing is happening. Really, in a very basic way, what it means to be mindful, when mindfulness arises in the mind, it, mean, it has the function to tether our attention to an object to tether our attention to an object in order for us to actually see that object. So it might be a thought, it might be a feeling, a sight, sound, taste, a smell, or a feeling on the skin, uh, uh, any, anything that may arise in any given moment. When we bring our attention to that and the mindfulness is there, we actually see it. Ah, we hear a sound. Oh, it's a sound of a bird, and it has a particular kind of uh, energy, a particular kind of vibration. And when we're very present, we can really hear that and sense that and know that in a way we can't if the mind is very busy or distracted or restless. There's the bird. This is from a Japanese Zen master, 13th century Zen master, Dogen, who says, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be awakened with all things. 
So in the moment when we are really attentive, when we're really present, mindful with what's occurring, we're not so engaged in our stories of the past and the future and who we take ourselves to be, but we have more of a sense of just this moment, however it is occurring. And through that attention, it's possible to know that thing, whether it's ourselves or something else, in a way we may never have had the opportunity to know it before. So mindfulness brings us into contact with what's true. It brings us into a kind of intimacy with the the things of this life. Without the mindfulness, the mind slips. It rushes from idea to idea, the past and future, trying to figure things out, analyzing Uh, uh, judging, having preference for this and that, liking, disliking. And we notice when we bring our mindfulness to that mind state, we notice that we can feel agitated, we can feel worried or unsettled, um, almost like we don't have a real foundation under us, or we may not feel like we have much ground. We can almost feel a little bit dizzy or lightheaded or like we're toppling forward into the next moment and not really have that sense of being in the body, here, in the present moment. We call this the untrained mind. The untrained mind. And the Buddha likens this mind to the flapping about of a fish taken from water and thrown onto dry land. Does that sound like any experience you've known? on dry land. I really like that metaphor because it, it, it's, we're out of our nourishment, the water, the ocean, and we can feel that kind of dryness, that agitation, because we're not, we're not here. We're not connected in this present moment. This is from Shantideva, from A Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life. This is translated by Stephen Batchelor. In this world, unsubdued and crazed elephants are incapable of causing such harms as the miseries of the deepest hell which can be caused by the unleashed elephant of my own mind. But if the elephant of my mind is firmly bound on all sides by the rope of mindfulness, all fears will cease to exist and all virtues will come into my hand. I think that's such a good metaphor that many of us can relate to. Now, we read this. In this world, unsubdued and crazed elephants are incapable of causing such harms as the miseries of the deepest hell which can be caused by the unleashed elephant of my mind. So this is very important work. It's very, very important work because when we're not well-established when our mind, in, in mindfulness and our mind isn't well-trained, then we so easily can act out of our confusion and our fear and our anger, and we cause ourselves so much suffering and we cause others so much suffering. And we can see the effect that that has in our world. We don't have to look very far at all 
The trained mind is firmly bound by mindfulness and concentration. Mindfulness which tethers the mind to the present moment and what's happening in that experience. And concentration which then sustains that attention over some period of time. This is what we are attempting to cultivate here on this retreat. When the mind is trained, then it becomes a tool for inquiry and investigation so that we really can see deeply into the nature of things. I see that mindfulness is like a window through which we can see clearly, even for a moment. When the mindfulness comes in and we are really present, we have a clarity And that clarity is knowing. It's a knowingness. We know what's happening. I know what I'm thinking. I may know what I'm feeling. I know what I'm seeing or hearing or smelling or tasting or touching. There's the the connection with present moment reality. We're here. We've arrived. In that moment, we have the capacity to know things the way they are. And sometimes the word vipassana, the practice that we do here, vipassana, is translated as insight, but it's also translated as knowing things the way they are, seeing clearly the way things are. So in that moment when we're actually here, when we're actually mindful, we have that clarity to know things as they are. It may even be that we know that we're sleepy or we know that we're tired, we know that we have a headache or, you know, we know that we're really interested. Whatever it is, we know what's happening in our experience. In a moment of mindfulness, we have let go of our preconceived ideas of what we think we know And we actually make room, we make space. Our consciousness has some space in that moment to actually see what's really there. And we say we, in those moments, we perceive in a fresh way rather than through our conditioned patterns and our conditioned ideas. So right now, just taking a moment and and turning your mindfulness back towards your own experience And see what's happening right now. What do you know? What are you aware of? And to see how how simple, in a way, just that simple turning right back fully into the present moment. I mean, maybe many of you already were very connected to the present moment and had that sense of knowing right where you are and knowing what your experience was. And then just heightening that a little bit. What's happening Noticing your mood or your mind state. Noticing what's happening in your body. Not needing to make anything different at all. There's no, doesn't need to be any judgment. There doesn't need to be any preference. It might be there. But just simply, that simple knowing, that simple making contact right now with what is. Just the way you are. And that simple turning without the judgment and without the preference. The simple turning of that mindfulness also means that it's imbued with a quality of loving kindness, of tenderness, of gentleness, because we're not rejecting our experience in any way. We're not putting down our experience or giving ourselves a hard time. We simply are knowing what's happening. 
I'm not so much involved in the liking or the disliking. That may be there, but you can know that as well. And you can know that without judging it, without needing that to be gone as well. It's just the way, your experience is just the way it is. One of the obstacles that we often engage in, that an obstacle to our mindfulness, to our presence, is that we are often caught up in our patterns of rejecting our experience thinking that something else ought to be happening or having expectations or demands or preferences, things we want, mindsets we want that we don't want. And we're often caught up in this struggle of trying to manipulate our experience to be a particular way. And sometimes we get so caught up in that, we believe that what our mind is telling us is actually true, that we actually should be having an experience that's different than it is. And then we're really caught in this struggle or this tension, this contraction, because we're trying to get ourselves over there where we think we ought to be, and we're somehow kind of rejecting ourselves or pulling, disconnecting from ourselves rather than just being here. And that's a painful experience. There's actually, we can feel the contraction and the tension when we actually do that. Sometimes we may may not recognize why we're feeling the tension or the pain, but it has very much to do with the trying to put ourselves somewhere that we're not. Trying to get to C when we're still at A and not being able to open to that, to embrace ourselves, to really say, A is C. A is where I'm supposed to be. There is no C in that perspective. This is it. And then that destination that we had set up for ourselves just falls away when we see really clearly that we don't need to be anywhere else but where we are. This is not easy to overcome. It's not like we're just supposed to get it, you know, oh, well, I'm not supposed to, you know, I'm not supposed to be judging myself anymore or, 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 having expectations about my experience, we just do that. Often it's a very strong pattern of our mind. So we need to see if we can bring that quality of tenderness to what we see in our minds when we get involved in that kind of rejecting behavior. As we bring the mindfulness, and as I said, there, is, there are also those qualities of the heart that can follow. This is from the great poet and teacher Rumi. If God said, Rumi, pay homage to everything that has helped you enter my arms, there would not be one experience of my life, not one thought, not one feeling, not one act I would not bow to. This is the quality that we want to cultivate here, where we can actually bow to each and every moment of our experience, just as it is, seeing it as a great offering to us to become more of who we are, to grow into the fullness of our being, the capacity of who we are as human beings. This brings with it a quality of openness. It's like emptying a cup of old water. And I love reading this this quote from um, Ajahn Chah, the great uh, Thai master that many of us are familiar with. 
When he was asked what greatest hindrances, hindrance his students had, he said, opinions, views, and ideas about things. Their minds are filled with opinions about things. They are too clever to listen to others. It is like water in a cup. If the cup is filled with dirty, stale water, it is useless. Only after the old water is thrown out can the cup become useful. You must empty your minds of opinions. Then you will see. Empty your minds of opinions, of views, of ideas, preferences, beliefs. (laughs) Not an easy task. But it's like emptying, what we're doing is like emptying that cup. And it makes room. It's a, it, it brings about a quality of openness so that something fresh can enter. Something fresh can come in. There was a Roshi who said, Those who are awake live in a state of constant amazement. Constant amazement because every moment is new. Every moment is fresh. We're seeing things in a new way, not in a preconceived way, not through the filters of our conditioning and our old habits, but just in one moment of being here, of mindfulness, of attention, there's the possibility to see things completely otherwise, other than we've ever seen them before. Another great teacher Ryokan, we've heard many wonderful words from. There's one little poem that goes, The bamboo grove in front of my hut, every day I see it a thousand times, yet never tire of it. So it's not even like we have to be seeing different things (laughs) or, you know, changing our experiences all the time. But the same thing, We can see it differently each time when we let go of these preconceived notions, preconceived ideas. And as we experience freshly and we see more clearly, what comes about as well is a quality of curiosity and interest. We actually become more interested because we've let go and we actually don't know so much in that moment. We're not bringing along our whole database of what we know, which then kind of You know, oh, I know that. I've been there. I've seen that. I've done that. You know, I've done a retreat before. I know what's going to happen. But when we really let go, we, we have that. What comes is that quality of interest and curiosity. One of my teachers, Hamid Ali, says, We want to open the wrapping of the gift because we want to see what's inside. Like little kids, we, we want to know what's inside. We're, we're curious. It's a, a natural quality of, our, of who we are as human beings. We want to know. We want to learn. We want to grow. And it's not that we feel this quality of openness or this presence only when we're feeling good, you know, only when the mind is undisturbed, you know, or when you've been doing a week of, of metta practice and your mind you know, feels more calm and tranquil. It's not the only time. Even when we're not feeling well, when we're feeling troubled, when we're feeling upset, when we're feeling angry, we can bring this mindfulness to our experience just as it is. This winter, I, was, I got quite ill. 
in December, um, I was on the East Coast. I was teaching in the in the very cold winter in Massachusetts, and I was al- I already had a bit of a cold. And then the the cold winter and and being out there and my body just not being strong enough, my uh, the illness tumbled into pneumonia, and I was in the hospital and it took me um, about two months to to go through it and to recover. And I was so grateful for my my practice because I was able to stay totally present with myself right in the midst of that very difficult and challenging illness that I had. And in fact, my mind didn't want to go anywhere else. I really wanted to be with myself. I felt like I was in a little bit of a cocoon with myself, and a great deal of of love and tenderness was present there. So I was really taking very, very good care of myself and listening very carefully just to know what I might need in any given moment or how I might need to take care of myself or when to make choices about this or that. And there was really this amazing quality of, of presence and compassion and openness. And I was really in a state at one point when I was in the hospital where I actually felt like I could die. You know, it felt, I felt so sick and my temperature was so high and the doctors were so worried about me. I, I could have died. And yet there really was this amazing quality due to the um, accumulation of my practice that really held me. It really held me. So the suffering just wasn't as strong. There wasn't there because there wasn't in conflict. I wasn't in uh, a place of confusion about about what was happening. I was really able to be there for myself. And it was beautiful, really precious opportunity. And sometimes, unless we've, we've had um, these depths of experience with these very challenging situations, it might not even, we might not even imagine how that's possible, that to be, to be so close to um, um, a, f- a fragile and vulnerable p- a situation where we could almost die that the mind could be so clear and so bright and so awake and so present that there isn't really so much suffering in that. So this is really what's possible for us as we really deepen into our practice. We might say that you are the gift that you are unwrapping here on this retreat. Hopefully there's a certain amount of curiosity and a certain amount of interest a certain amount of curiosity that you'll bring to this journey so that you can look deeply into the nature of your mind and your heart and your body and your life and your experiences, your relationships, all, all that you are. This is we already naturally have the awake mind. We are that. Our mind is already awake. So it's just a question of, through the, actually through the mindfulness, we start to access that awake mind. It is an expression of the awake mind. We are already turning the light of consciousness onto whatever is occurring in the present moment. That is an expression of our Buddha nature, of who we are at a very deep level. So we're cultivating this. We're developing this so that, so that this knowingness, this brightness, this uh, illuminated uh, awake mind becomes more and more of our experience in every moment of our existence. 
I'm looking at the clock and I see that it's just starting to get towards 8.15. So I want to start to to wrap this up. So I think that really we're also talking about some qual- a quality of trust. Really trusting in the integrity of the teachings, trusting in to the, the integrity of the practice, and really trusting yourselves, really trusting your own capacity to do this practice, your, capa- the, your own capacity to walk this path and to wake up to your own fundamental nature that you are. That is what the Buddha pointed to He said, if I didn't think you could do it, I would not ask you to. So that's what we've come together for here now, to see what we can discover in a way we have never seen before. What can be revealed in a fresh way, in a new way? I want to end with um, a poem that was given to me by someone who sat, uh, I probably uh, two years ago, one of the Metta retreat at this time, uh, because it's called Metta Practice Spirit Rock, day six, 6 a.m. And um, I think it, I want to read it because I think it really blends beautifully the transition that we're in right now of bringing the Metta into the mindfulness and how they're actually not so different. Daybreak floats, weightless, like fog at the window. Eight pools of yellow light, like fragrance, touch memory, light warming the air. Sound is reduced to one bird, the rustle, now and then a fabric, the creak from time to time of wood, invisibly flexing, and the almost sound of a hundred people, each cloaked in our own tent of beautiful cloth, breathing. Each behind closed eyes polishes a family of beloveds with phrases uttered 10,000 times by the mind, by the heart, by the pores of our skin, like the sound in the seashell or the constant sound of a distant ocean, the sound of breathing, not anybody's breathing, breath itself, breathing love, not anybody's love, love itself utterly love breathing. So let's just sit for a moment together before we transition.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.